Welcome along to the Neighbour Food Podcast. This is Jolene and along with Jack, we're going to be talking about something cracking today. Tell me this now and tell me no more. Have you ever heard of an eggler? Uh, I have not heard about an eggler. No. That's great news because do you know what? Up until yesterday, I had also not heard about an eggler. So if you listen right to the end of this episode, you are going to be enlightened about what the egglers did. What's coming up in the show today? Well, lots of enlightenment, apparently. In like egglers. <laughs> well, if we were going to dip into eggs, and for me, eggs, I adore eggs. I love eating eggs, but I also love the kind of alchemy of eggs and how they're mm. so important in both sweet desserts and also in savory dishes. You can eat an egg a day. You could eat two eggs a day. They are just an amazing food source. And I love cooking eggs. The biggest real part of eggs, though, is where do eggs come from? So we wanted to talk a little bit about hens and keeping hens. And there really is only one person you can speak to about keeping hens. And it's a mother hen herself, Dorina Allen. Glad it wasn't right. mine. Dorita, <laughs> let's start again. Who are you? <laughs> what is your expertise and why are we getting the crack from you about eggs? Well, now, okay. So I'm Doreen Allen and I'm a sort of ancient granny. I've got 11 grandchildren, but I suppose I am better known as the co-founder of the Ballymaloo Cookery School, uh, which I founded with my brother Rory in uh, 1983. And uh, I'm sort of, I suppose, I'm a teacher. Of course, I'm a teacher. Love, love, love sharing knowledge with my students who now come from all over the world. So anyway, that's enough of an introduction, isn't it? <laughs> and I have hens. I have hens. You, you have, have hens. a lot of hens. Do you know, oh. I actually Googled to see how many hens does Dorina Allen own, right? Yeah. And it came up with the information that there's 350 hens in the Ballymedia Cookery School. Is that true? Well, I'm sorry to tell you that that's well off the mark. We have about 650. <laughs> what? Yay! 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 Oh my God, go and update the Wikipedia yeah. straight oh. Oh, I, I can't believe that they actually had yeah. a number of hens on yeah. the on That's amazing. No, well, we have about five different flocks. You know, they're they are the farm around the uh, the Badmere Cookery School is organic and has been for over thirty years. Uh, so basically, the hens are of course when if they're organic, they also have to be free range. So they have they're, they're roaming around. Uh, you know, uh, out in the grass and all that sort of thing. And uh, so we need that many, believe it or not, to, uh, for the uh, cooking school. And also we sell our surplus eggs at the Middleton Farmers Market and to Neighbour Food and all of that as well. Yeah. So that's, uh, but I, we've always had hens. Since I was a child, you know, mummy always uh, kept hens. And uh, so it was part of my childhood, literally taking the little bucket of scraps down to feed the hens and all of that and collecting eggs. And so for me, it, life is inconceivable without having a few hens and your own eggs. So I feel, you know, every batch of students who come, I encourage them to think about, you know, you know, obviously if they're in high-rise flat in Manhattan or something, they can't have hens. Although in Manhattan, lots of people now are keeping backyard chickens or up on their roofs, actually. So, you know, it can be all of us anywhere. So are you telling yeah. me that it's easy to keep hens? I'm telling you it's super easy to keep hens. But I'll tell you what, you really do need grass, actually, because that's what keeps them healthy and really um, contributes to sort of really delicious and nourishing gorgeous eggs uh, so if you have even a little bit of lawn perfect you can get a little chicken coop and I would say for most families if you had four hens 
um, you'd have plenty of eggs to keep you going for the, uh, you know, for the to keep the household going. You might even be able to give a few as a present to if you're going off to have uh, supper with a friend instead of bringing them a dodgy bottle of wine. You could bring them some of your own lovely eggs. And, and of course, so as you mentioned, you can feed them all the scraps. So yeah. how important is it to close that circle of our household? Well, waste? you know, yes. again, going back to the for indeed it doesn't have to be the cooking school, but in any household, uh, instead of uh, your little food scraps that are left over, instead of just filling them into a bucket and then you know paying the council to take them away uh, it makes so much more sense in every way to have a few hens to feed scraps to the hens and then they can, those scraps come back as eggs a few days later uh, and uh, so it's a wonderful holistic system and it's exactly what we do at the cooking school uh, the students uh, are often surprised to find that in all of the kitchens we have several hens buckets as we call them and so when they're cooking in the morning they look at their little scraps or peelings of carrot and onion or whatever, the little bits and pieces, and they decide whether they qualify for the stock pot, first and foremost, that's the first protocol, and or else whether they go into the hen's buckets. And then it's part of the students' duties. Now, these are students who are learning how to be chefs and cooks and cook professionally. I really need them to think about how food is produced, how really good food is produced and where it comes from. So they then, uh, the, well, they, have, they all have du- a little duty every day. It sounds very whatever. And then they'll take the bucket and go down and feed the hens. So we have um, actually, because we, you know, are, we have so many hens and it's on a slightly bigger, uh, bigger scale, we have a brilliant system actually. We have a builder skip, okay? So you toss the, the scraps into the builder skip uh, down at the in the hens run and they jump into the to the builder skip and they eat what they want out of it they're picky enough now hens you know they don't eat everything and then at the end of the day we put a layer of straw on top of that we the royal we uh, put a layer of straw on top then the following day more scraps and by the end of the week the skip is filled up and then that is taken um uh, on the front loader down and turned onto the compost heap and then it goes into the compost. It takes several months to rot down, to rot down with the other bits and pieces that go into the compost. And then that comes eventually um, changes into humus, basically, where life comes back into the into it again, completely broken down. And that goes back onto the soil in the farm to make the soil more fertile, to grow more and more beautiful vegetables and everything. So it's a wonderful. It's not just the eggs that you get, but it's a wonderful holistic cycle in every way. And this. Um, and, and this really resonates with the students they've never I mean normally most of us in our busy lives you know you pick something up off a supermarket shelf and you don't give a moment's thought to how it's produced or where it comes from but they see the whole cycle plus they taste the eggs this is the real revelation I mean for any of us you know we talk about you know going out of your way to source organic food or something like that and you know you just hear it and it's sort of people's eyes glaze over but it's not until for example somebody sows a seed and grows something themselves and tastes the difference and you know also appreciates the length of time it took uh, when, when you realise the whole cycle with the eggs, uh, what goes into it, and then you taste the difference, you taste the difference. Yeah. Um, and you know, no amount of reading it or listening to that being said that there is such a difference uh, does it until you taste it. Because, you know, in a way, um, one of my favourite foods is a boiled egg, a simple boiled egg. Right. And with, with the, you know, little soda bread soldiers and good butter or something, I often, you know, you often get asked that question, crazy, silly question, really, you know, what would be our last meal, that sort of thing. And I often say a boiled egg. If I'm going to have a boiled egg for supper, I literally go down to the hen house and pick a, a lovely, freshly 
uh, laid egg, bring it up and cook it. And then the, the white is sort of curdy and delicious. It's just a different thing. And the, uh, the, both the flavour and the texture are, and you realise you're having a gourmet experience, you know, with a simple boiled egg. Absolutely. But I can tell you, that's, I mean, also people tell me that, uh, I used to say that eggs were probably four or five days old before they got on the supermarket shelf, but actually somebody who worked in a supermarket told me that they can be 10 or 11 days old. Now look, freshness, like with everything, makes a huge difference. So mm -hmm. a really fresh egg from hens that are really well fed and out on grass and everything. You know, it's something one everybody everybody should have. Everybody should. That's have. why I want everybody to have a little chicken coop out in their uh, on their lawn and to and then of course for children, the, the, if you have a chicken coop and the children then they love the hens. It's they very love, exciting, isn't it? Uh, terribly exciting. They love feeding the hens. They love actually, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, collecting the eggs and all that. Plus, actually. With our, we have in fact this is a slightly different thing, but we have we link up with nine local schools in our area, uh, through a slow food education project in East Cork, and in I send a chicken coop and and two hens to all of those schools so that the children can learn how to keep hens. The children feed hens, they talk to them, they name them, and all of the rest of it. And then they clean out the chicken coop, they put the manure onto the compost heap in the school garden, and they realise how that's, you know, helping to activate the compost, and it's going to go back onto the soil to, more, to grow okay. more lovely vegetables in their little vegetable patches. So, um, anyway, there's me back to my sort of teaching headmistress. No, that, that is fantastic. <laughs> I know, for those of us that don't have the space or maybe maybe the will to have our own eggs, maybe not the passion, but we still love to taste yeah. that beautiful um, egg. What is the important, what should I look out for when I'm yes. trying to source a proper yeah. egg? And why is it so important? I got carried away there. The, the idea of not having hens <laughs> didn't occur to me. <laughs> no, come on, get real, get real, get real. Get real. Get I real. mean, I'm living in get an apartment real. in the top of the city centre. Come on, I don't, I, I can't have hens, okay. but I still want now, a good egg. Well, absolutely. Well, so, and, and super important because uh, an egg is such a whole food virtually. You know, it's incredible uh, protein and everything and really nourishing and all of that and delicious. But apart from that, uh, basically, so... If you haven't got your own hens, then you have to befriend somebody who has. Okay, well, now the first thing to do would be obvious if you're fortunate enough to have a good farmer's market close by. Uh, go along and mosey around the stalls and ask some questions. And then uh, try and find somebody who's actually has their own hens, of course. And are then chat them up and make sure that you get the day before eggs or whatever, the freshest eggs. Now, also, it's really important to actually be able to judge yourself to actually know what a really fresh egg looks like. So what am I looking for? Yeah, so basically you don't can't tell that much from the shell. Now, and of course, the other thing that people get all exercised about is are white eggs better than brown eggs or whatever. And to a great extent, um, there can be a difference in flavour when some of the heritage breeds, but in general, they're pretty much similar. But freshness is everything. So really, if you crack an egg then on a little plate or a saucer, a really fresh egg is sort of really plump and uh, uh, the, the white is sort of plump and contained and the yolk is sort of sitting in the centre. And there might be a little uh, more watery um, egg white around the outside or a bumin around the outside. Now, an egg that 
gradually that becomes the albumin, the white part, becomes more and more liquid. So the more it flows out all over the plate, basically, uh, the, the older the egg is. And so what you're looking for is, is a lovely little, when you crack it, a little compact egg. Okay. Uh, and, that, and that's gorgeous. And that's the sign of good that egg. Is gorgeous, exactly. So basically, I would say build up a relationship, not to be misunderstood, uh, with your, at the farmer's markets, with your farmer, whatever, them straight in the face. And, uh, and then, of course, shower them with praise when you have a gorgeous egg. Uh, and so on. So yeah, I, have, but, I have a personal tip on that. Have Go you? On. Good. Quite a lot of vegetable farmers keep hens and they have a surplus of eggs and yes. they do it for the same reason you do. Yes. So if you can find someone at a farmer's market who's selling eggs but it's not their commercial thing, they'll be the best eggs. I think uh-huh. that, that is a really good tip because somebody who has also the, the uh, and Jack, I'm sure you'll uh, agree with this too, the food of small production is always different, even if it's not organic. Uh, fully uh, or whatever it's always different to the food of big production systems so that's a really good tip jack that actually uh, uh, again it's a question of chatting people up and, <laughs> and you have to check early yeah. because they probably come down with 36 eggs or something yeah, yeah. you know yeah, yeah. So the other thing is actually is sometimes some local small shops although there's a funny legislation there uh, sometimes they have might have a few dozen eggs from a local a local farmer or I love when you see um eggs or you know for sale on the side of the road yes exactly potatoes that's, yeah. that's my favourite yes you just stop in put the yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah to look out for those honesty boxes and so yeah. on but then that's all very fine because it doesn't guarantee freshness uh, although mm-hmm. you have more of a chance but basically the, the uh, actually making sure that you yourself can judge yeah. what mm-hmm. a really fresh well, egg so nobody can pull the, the wool over your eyes <laughs> And then, oh, what a beautiful thing. On the eggs, I just want to ask a bit of a technical question. So, as I know, you don't need a huge amount of space to keep hens because you can move them around your garden. So you can keep them because you might not want to let them completely wild because maybe you're not contained or maybe you're afraid of foxes or things like this. So they can live in their coop with a small run and then you can let them wander when you're there, but you can also move your run. So building a run that's movable is much better than building a fixed run and allowing your grass because it's actually very good for the rest of your garden yes. to allow them yeah because be they fertilize it mm-hmm. and as well as that and also they act as kind of little lawnmowers yeah. uh, you know you are listening to the neighbor food podcast but maybe wondering what neighbor food actually is our neighbor food markets are a way for local people to buy from local producers via weekly collection points in their own communities neighbor food is an online shop for local food makers to sell to their neighbors To find your local market, find out more about setting one up, or would you like to sell what you make, go to neighbourfood.ie or .co.uk to find out more. Just a quick technical question I didn't get to the last time. In terms of choosing a variety of which hen to keep, what are your thoughts on that this is uh, again a, a really important question jack because basically this you know if you are going to have hens as one needs to ranging freely outside on lovely, our lovely grass and so on uh, the hens you need to if, if possible look out for heritage breeds basically mm. so because the hens that are bred for very intensive production they simply don't know what to do actually when they mm. they stand like idiots outside if you if you let them outside uh, because very often they've been de-beaked as well and they so they can't scratch properly and all of that and much of their natural 
um, the behavior has actually been almost bred out of them at this stage. So what you want are heritage breeds. So yeah, there and there are lots of really good ones. There's you know uh, Rhode Island Red, there are Marins, there are, uh, Plymouth Rock. Uh, there are lots and lots of really good varieties. Uh, I mean, sorry, there are lots and lots of really good breeds that are bred for outdoor production. And we have little feathered bantons and. Oh, and as well as that, it can develop into such a, not just a hobby, but also and more and more people want to have a few hens now. So, you know, if you have, um, if you have, if you have a cock as well, now you can't do that in a built up area. If you're going to have your hens now in your, uh, in, in, in the city, on your rooftop, <laughs> uh, don't have city. a cock crow because that'll drive all your neighbours mad. Uh, but if you want to have chickens, obviously you need to have a cock crow. And mm. the hens, it has to be said, are happier if there's a cock crow running around to them as well. And then the eggs will be fertilised. And then if you want to hatch those out or if they, they do naturally themselves at two, 21 days later, you'll have chickens. And oh, my God, the excitement. But as well as that, lots of people want to buy a couple of hens uh, to have. And it's hard to buy a couple of hens. But again, the farmer's markets, there are several people, for example, in Skibbereen Farmer's Market, in uh, Mount Farmer's Market, lots of them, there's somebody selling uh, hens. Speak to a farmer, so what would be your advice if uh, you're speak looking to, to find... Yes, well, a farmer that has, uh, that has chickens, yes. Yeah. Uh, but there are... Uh, 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 it's not just any old farmer. Uh, there's several people who are rearing specially mm-hmm. for people for outdoor production and for people who have just want in many ways to be able to buy three or four hens because there's no point in going. At the moment, because we're organic, when we're buying our hens, we have to buy them from the north of Ireland. It's the only place that uh, they actually um, produce uh, organic, organic uh, day-old chicks. And so we send up and they and we do all the paperwork and all of that. But uh, uh, So that's quite a mission. But it's terrific to be able to go into a farmer's market and to buy you know uh, three or four birds uh, and... Oh my goodness, all the different, you, you just get hooked because all the different breeds, oh I'd like one of those and one of those and one of those. Would, and one I, of get, those, would yeah. I get hooked enough to get 600 birds though? No, no, you, and you don't need them. Honestly, most people, if they had four, you'd produce yeah. plenty of eggs for any kind of family, parents and say four kids or something, because you're not going to be eating a ton of eggs, you make a cake maybe once a week or something, it's plenty. Sure. So I'm going to cut in here now because right around now, Jack reveals something that Darina didn't know about his time at the Ballymaloo Cookery School. Your passion for hens impacted me so quickly that we got two hens four weeks into the course. Really? We were renting your sister's house, Blomet, in Ballycotton, and we didn't even wait for the course to end, myself and John. We got two hens, and we called them Darina and Tim. I never yeah. knew that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. hysterical. We kept them for the whole course. We kept them for a little bit after, but then we had to go our separate ways and yes. it felt like divorce. And I felt like there was going to be custody <laughs> battles. So, so Rory, Rory took them. <laughs> I never really heard that story, I think. To a Rhode Island Red and a Miss Daisy Blue. Is that oh, the yeah, they're, black, they're, yes. black one. Yes, black exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And did the fox not get your hands? No. No. Fantastic. Yeah. And they were in the house. They were, they were they were around our feet in the evening when we'd be doing our homework. <laughs> That's fantastic. This is hysterical. Oh my god, I'm what such a, laugh. a bad influence. What a laugh. <laughs> well done, Jack. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, quickly, maybe oh, yeah. three favourite ways to cook uh, eggs. Eggs, okay. Well, she's already told us about boiled egg with the soldiers. Yeah. Boiled egg and soldiers. Yeah. Yes, and certainly the other thing is a poached egg. Mm. Again, if you want to 
you know, that you can buy all kinds of gadgets and this, that, and the other to poach an egg. Mm. Do you know something? You don't need anything apart from a fresh egg. If you have a, a really fresh egg, you just need some water uh, and uh, bring it just to the boil and then turn it, uh, the heat down so it's barely trembling and just maybe crack the egg into a, a cup, slip it into the water and then do nothing. Just wait until it's potent to be beautiful and plump like a little a little uh, cushion on top of a... Uh, just uh, And you can pop it on toast. So, that's, uh, so there's no mystery to poaching an egg apart from having a good egg. So that's, that's my second way. And then freshly cracked pepper, a little flaky sea salt or something. Or maybe some Aleppo pepper sprinkled over the top. I always have that in my handbag. I mean, my sad little life, you know, a mixture <laughs> of, of flaky sea salt and Aleppo pepper. And even transforms a hard-boiled egg. Anyway, uh, so the third thing that knows for mayonnaise, because it just makes such a difference mm. to have good egg yolks mm. for... Uh, to make home the alchemy mayonnaise. of an egg yeah. is incredible. Yes, yeah. and then you have this one. It's so easy to make mayonnaise when you have a good egg yolk. A lot of people say, so difficult to make mayonnaise. Well, it is if you have an egg that's 10 or 12 days old because it's quite hard to do emulsion and stuff. Yeah, a Boiled egg, poached eggs and uh, mayo. And then, of course, there would be all the other omelets and potatoes and all of that. But we're only allowed three. It's like the desert island, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So that was good, wasn't it? It was really, really nice. It's always nice. Like, it's always amazing to go chat to Darina. She's got so much time for everybody. She is so knowledgeable. She moves at such pace through filling your brain with the knowledge while she's talking yeah. to you. Yeah. And she's so well known. I mean, she has been going, the school is going for 40 years. She yeah. has been on TV. She has taught generations upon generations yeah. of different yeah. people yeah. how to cook. And, you know, you lead in with, uh, getting her to introduce herself, and I. <laughs> but I, I was, I was setting up a nice interview. Isn't that what you do? You ask people who they are. Like, you do. I'm new to not... this, Jolene. That's maybe what we're. You know, I'm new to the podcast gag. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, Darina Allen. Yeah, she definitely needs no introduction. But but that was that was fantastic meeting her and speaking to her um about a subject that she's so knowledgeable about. But you actually did the cookery school um course, and I remember you telling me about eggs at different times when they're best for baking or scrambling or poaching sure Tell me what's and when i say there. something like the alchemy of eggs to me this kind of proves it but a f freshness is so important with food in general but with eggs it actually means something different mm. so a fresh egg straight from the hen cracked into boiling water will make a perfect poached egg mm. straight together into a ball not one string no need to stir no need for anything else and the same time, if you were to hard boil that same egg, really, really fresh, you can't peel the skin off. Mm. So actually, there's thousands of things we could talk about with eggs. Darina touched on a lot of them, but with a poached egg, on the day, let's call it day one, poaching an egg, absolutely perfect. For a hard boiled egg, keep it there five, six days, and then, and then, and then boil it. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, ah, you know me and the cheesy puns. Um, that's that's interesting subject. Thanks, thanks for the uh, enlightenment. Yeah. Uh, so I actually took a visit to the doctor about my egg problem. Um, 
Okay, I, I'm sorry. I have no idea what you're talking about. You went to the doctor about it. I went, well, okay. It was um, it was a professor, as in uh, the you know, uh, a, doc- an educate education doctor, educational. A, a professor, a doctor, Doctor Martin Makanimura. That is who I went to talk to. He is. Um, do you know what? I'm going to let this guy introduce himself because that's what you do, isn't it? When you do a podcast, you let people introduce themselves. Yes, exactly. That's what we've learned. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Martine, for um for for chatting us to us today. Um, I gotta say, when I started looking at this podcast and researching all the different things about Irish food and digging into different topics and ingredients, funnily enough, your name came up a lot in the best possible way. Tell us why is that? What do you do? Yeah, well, I suppose I'm a senior lecturer in culinary arts and gastronomy in the um, technological, the School of Culinary Arts and Food Technology, which is in the, what used to be DIT for many years. But in, uh, for the last two years now, we've become a technological university. We uh, we joined up with uh, IT Talon with IT Blanchardstown. And not just that, but in the last few months, we've actually moved up to a brand new campus up in Grange Gorman. So Cahill Brewer Street is gone and we're now up in a brand new campus in, in Grange Gorman. But I suppose um, I've been fascinated with uh, Irish food history for, I suppose, over 20 years now. And um, for the last nearly five years now, I've been running a master's programme in gastronomy and food studies. And as part of that, I run, um, I teach a, a class on the history of Irish food. And uh, I also have you know, supervised a number of both uh, master students and PhD students on aspects of Irish food history. So that probably explains why my name appeared once or twice, you know. <laughs> Amazing. So you're definitely the right person so to tell me which came first, the chicken or the egg, would you? Uh, well, please, God, yes, I say, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you can actually shed a little bit of light on, on this question, because when were hens first introduced into Ireland? Well, they believe that hens, as in I suppose, the idea about chickens and eggs, the eggs were here before the chickens because there was eggs, whether they might have been goose eggs or they might have been sort of gulls eggs or that sort of stuff here before any hens eggs. But uh, they believe that hens themselves, hens themselves actually came from Southeast Asia and they made their way over, you know, to, uh, I suppose, this part of the world via, I suppose, Greece and Rome and sort of the, the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire and that sort of stuff. You know, some people believe that the Danes brought them here, but if they did, it was probably due to the influence of the Romans because the Danes themselves, the Norse, were part of the Norsemen involved in Normandy and the Crusades and all that sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? So there's, you know, it, it's basically via, via, via the Romans, but it's it's basically that the hens made their way westwards over a period of centuries, you know? Okay, right. And did we always eat hen's eggs or did we eat other eggs like goose eggs or seabirds eggs or anything like that? Well, let's say we still eat other eggs, like hen's eggs are, hen's eggs are not, you know, we, we eat other eggs, you know, currently. Um, I, I noticed actually ducks eggs for sale there actually down in Wexford recently, you know, and, um, you know, we've been eating the eggs of sort of ducks and geese and quails and plovers and gulls and all sorts of wild birds, you know what I mean? But hen 
eggs would be the most uh, common um, eggs. And, you know, with the idea of farming and all that sort of stuff, like hens became the most uh, common thing, particularly, I suppose, in the last 200 years, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, or 150 yeah. years. Yeah. So one of the things I actually read about you, and you might not know this, that I found out, that you're a Shano singer. Is that true? do you know any songs with eggs or maybe some old folklore stories about eggs that we might be able to kind of dig a little bit deeper on well there's a lot of you know there's a lot of folklore about eggs and and there's a lot of mythology about eggs like we think about i suppose you know i've done a lot of work about trying to just demystify this idea or get rid of this idea that ireland doesn't have a strong food culture Mm. you know and you only have to look as far as our mythology to start off with you know, uh, you know, when you think about some of our main uh, mythological tales, like on Brodan Fassi, you know, the Salmon of Knowledge, or Tain Bohul, and you know, the cattle raid of Cooley, uh, you know, it's all about either, you know, salmon or, as I say, beef or salmon, you could say, or whatever, or, or milk. And even in, in the Tain Bohul, and there, Queen Maeve gets actually killed by a lump of hard cheese, you know, called Tanach, you know. But there is a, a, a famous mythological tale called, uh, called Fled Dunnaeid. Uh, and you know the, the the story behind that is is, is really you know it's it's all to do with prestige okay. you know and again it's this idea about prestige about with which type of egg do you serve someone you know and that there'd be a higher status on sort of a goose egg than maybe a duck egg and 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 or, or, or definitely than a hen's egg you know so. The 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 fled the, the uh, tale is a Middle Irish tale, you know, probably from around the 12th century, and it sort of tells of a battle where sort of good, represented by King Donald MacAid, prevails over evil. Okay, so the King of Ulster, his name is Conal Clan, and he attends a feast prepared by Donald at which goose eggs are served, wow. some of which were stolen from a Bishop Irk Slania and others provided by two monstrous giants. So Irk and the giants, they place a course on whoever eats the eggs. So at the feast, while the first goose egg, which has been served on a silver platter, was placed in front of Connell, you know, who's the, who is the, uh, he's the king of Ulster, suddenly the power of the cursed transforms the silver uh, platter into wood and the goose egg into a hen's egg and suddenly the men of Ulster take this to be a complete insult to their king and a ferocious battle was false, you know. And the storyteller sort of concludes who says, what's the difference at all between the egg of a red feathered hen and the egg of a white winged goose? Alas for him who destroyed all Aaron for dispute over an egg, you know. <laughs> that is a great <laughs> story. Uh, you know, Brilliant. I hadn't actually heard that one before. Thanks for telling me that one. That was good. Sorry, what were you going to say? Yeah, so it's a, no, I was going to say, you know, all all of these, like, there's, there's, you know, I've I've looked at place names and looked at songs and looked at poetry and all of these sort of stuff, you know, and try to figure out, you know, the, the, there's links in all of them to various aspects of Irish food, you know, mm-hmm. so like even place names such as, you know, Cluan, Cluan Mala, you know what I mean, the meadow of honey or mm-hmm. Cluan Tharav, you know, the meadow, the bulls or stuff like that, you know what I mean, so um you know there's there's all of this so so eggs eggs feature there as well you know what i mean so i'm I'm trying to think you caught me out there for a bit i haven't been thinking about sort of an 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 egg song Ah, you you still have time you still have time mocky mocky, huggy i suppose is 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 like when we were all when we were all growing up as children like there was shuckling mocky huggy 
as a shahoing maki hoki yama hasta in a he shinne dominal larder of the session e he says she on it a week on a good bond may maki hoki full of his bed donal larder long oh my god it's long and maki hoki there you go now <laughs> i bet you the students now in tu dublin are absolutely dancing down the hallways listening to you singing up there in the university uh, they wonder will i ever shut up <laughs> <laughs> so come here um it, it's pretty obvious so that that eggs have been pr- pretty much part of our culture for a long time but like it's something that we don't really hear about much say in during famine times like would they not have been used then as a good food source well what you have to remember is that eggs a bit like butter like we used to have a you know we used before commercialization i'm going to say about commercialization i'm talking about sort of the around the, the 17th century, mid 17th century is when sort of commercialization really kicked in. You know, the Irish diet was very, very strong because, you know, we ate, you know, we were fairly self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. So people would have cattle, people would have hens, people would have pigs, etc., And people would, you know, grow their own vegetables and their potatoes and all that sort of stuff. And basically were self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And when you had the cattle, means you had milk and when you had milk you had butter you know you had cream and you had butter and you had various you know uh, other forms of curds etc etc where you had hens you had you had eggs and you also had poultry like so you had you had chicken like when when an egg when a when a hen got too too old to lay and stop laying you know what i mean you could wring its neck and sort of boil it or, okay. or roast it or whatever um but with the idea of commercialization coming in and then the idea about landlords and the idea of having to pay rent, okay. you know, where the, the, these products became part of the cash economy. So the idea of whether you kept a pig, you know, that the pig would be actually killed and then the, sold, you know, and then to pay the rent are the hens, you know, the eggs would be saved and gone to pay the rent or else the butter, the same with the butter, you know, sure you're based on a cork there, the famous butter market, you know what I mean? So people would have collected the butter and the firkins of butter would have transported along the butter roads to the butter market and then would have been shipped, raided and then shipped all over the world. So you know what I mean? I think rose butter from from, um, Ireland was advertised in New York City, you know, in the 1720s. Do you know what I mean? So like we were... We, we we were renowned for just you know exporting food, yeah. so this is the problem is that that you know it's it's that you, you suppose you weren't really selling potatoes but you could sell eggs you could sell butter you could sell pig meat you know okay. what I mean um, you know the the the, the, the etc. and which meant that it was too valuable to eat yourself because it was a it was a form of cash you know now pre you mentioned the famine. Pre the famine, in a lot of rural parts of Ireland, the linen industry would have been sort of a homespun industry. But with the advance of cotton, you know, uh, the linen industry started to die. And then the same people who were involved in the linen industry and, and, and lace making and all that sort of stuff uh, would have been girls and women. And they sort of tran- they got into hens then, and they got into uh, eggs and hens sort of in, in in quite a big way after that. And then later on, then the then the famine, like around the 1890, with uh, the um, Horace was a great guy behind the sort of the congested district board and setting up sort of the you know various different organisations mm-hmm. to do with the um, the co-ops and all that sort of stuff, like bought and all that sort of stuff. But he was a great man to support um, hen, or, or the idea about keeping hens 
and uh, bringing over you know poultry instructors from Denmark and from England and and to train uh, I suppose Irish um, f- farmers wives I suppose and and and, and um, in in the art of keeping um, poultry okay. and then increasing you know developing different breeds of hens and all that sort of stuff so they'd have better eggs etc. Okay. You know? So those eggs they they didn't eat them they basically sold them to I suppose to pay for the rent. Yeah, they sold them. There was a whole, there was basically, there was these people called sort of egglers, you know what I mean? Higglers or egglers who used to travel. They were basically sort of itinerant uh, salesmen, you know what I mean? Who used to buy up the eggs, Mm -hmm. you know? And the other thing is that the housewives would, they would barter the eggs with the local shopkeeper or various foodstuffs, whether it be tea or Mm -hmm. sugar or flour or tobacco or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, the egglers then would would gather them from the uh, from the local shopkeepers, but part of the problem here is that it became a sort of a long chain of time. So by the time the eggs made it to the English market, sometimes they had a bad reputation of not being the freshest. Okay. You know, so with the setting up of the uh, cooperative movements, they tried to sort of shorten down so that the children might bring their eggs on their way to school each morning, they might drop them into the co-op and, you know, which, and then they would transport them off quite quickly so they'd get to England uh, much quicker and much fresher. But the problem with the co-ops was that uh, because the men were also sending their milk, you know, or their cream and stuff to the co-ops, quite often the value of the eggs would be lumped in at the end of the month with the cash or with the cheque, you know, to the man of the house. And the women of the house didn't like this because the actually hen the, the the egg money was normally money that they had independence over that gave them their freedom. You yeah. know what I mean? It wasn't money that their husband was going to drink. You know, that's, and, that's, uh, that's not going to do it, like all. it at all. <laughs> so I, I presume when you say they're the English market, you were talking about the market in the UK and England, and not the English market which yes, you're regularly yes, visiting. Yes. No, no, not not. Yeah, no. I mean, I, yeah, I mean the English market as as in, in the whole of the UK as opposed to the actual market in in, in Cork yeah. City. Yeah, Speaking yeah, yeah. Which actually and one of the things I see a lot of the English market is buttered eggs and I believe it's an old method of preservation can you tell us a bit more about that yeah well I suppose what we I suppose what we forget is that eggs were you know it come winter time you know the hens would actually stop laying eggs all right so if you want you needed to hold on to the eggs you need to preserve them and one of the methods of preserving them was to butter okay. them. And basically what what happened there is that as you know, when the when the hen laid the egg, it would be nice and warm. And as it was nice and warm, you would take it, you know, out of the nest sort of thing and you'd rub it in fresh butter. And basically the fat would sort of go into the pores of the fresh egg and seal okay. it, you know, and actually and basically just preserve the egg, you know. Uh, for longer as such so that you could hold it over a longer period of time so that you could use it you know later on as such but naturally the other one of the other ways of of preserving it is when you think about the rich baking tradition we have associated with christmas and things like your know, porter mm-hmm. cake or christmas cake or puddings and all of this sort of stuff you know in many ways that was a way of when you had the harvest like you'll come late autumn you know what i mean when you had the harvest when the berries were available when the uh, you know the fruits the eggs the whole lot were available the way of actually uh, preserving those for the harsh months of winter time mm-hmm. you know uh, they should be waiting then until in bulk you know our St. Bridget's Day the first of uh, the first of February 
which would be then the sign of spring, you know, and awakenings and all of that and, 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 and new new possibilities, you know. Martin, that was wonderful. Could you give us that bar, that song again? I, th- I think I need to learn it. And so that's a wrap and that's all we got on Eggs and Hens. Thank you so much, Dorina Allen, for your time, wisdom and knowledge. And a huge shout out to the singing professor, Dr. Martin Makanimura. Special mention to Peter Broderick for our theme music and to all the Neighbour Food customers who support us each week with their local producer shop. So for me, Jolene Cronin, and my co-host, Jack Crotty, you've been listening to the Neighbour Food Podcast. Thank you for your ears. See you next week and hit subscribe. <laughs>